How are you? Good. Hey, I'm Matt. I'm the pastor here at Marine Creek. Glad you're here. Um, we're taking a little break uh, from the book of Matthew. We've been about, what, five months now? Um, we're coming up on six months as a church, um, and uh, that's exciting. Uh, some people probably didn't think we'd make it this long, but we did. Um, and we're going to keep going. So we're, we've been teaching through the book of Matthew, just verse by verse, and really trying to, to discover and, and look at who Jesus is and how Jesus can reflect in our life. Because I really think, uh, for, the, for me, this is my life experience, and I think for the majority of people, if we will see God for who He really is, not for who we want Him to be or who uh, maybe people we've known in the past have painted Him to be, um, then I think we'd fall in love with Him. And so we just, we just want to get in there and learn about who Jesus is. And uh, we, we're, we're teaching through the book of Matthew, plowing through it. But we're taking a break because um, been about six months old, we need to revisit our core values. And uh, core values are important and key to the DNA of a church and, and important to the DNA of who we are, what we're about. And it helps keep us, keeps us focused on what we're supposed to be doing. That way we don't get off on the sidelines and get ourselves in trouble and start, you know, really just screwing things up, really. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have any other way to say it. But we get off on the side and we're, we get so off course. And so every few months we're going to come back and just revisit this and hit it. So we just recheck that and say, are we on course? Are we focused on what we're supposed to be focusing on? And, let, and let's do a gut check here. If we're not, let's change it. You know, let's make sure we're doing the right thing. So our mission here at Marine Creek Church is to glorify God through lives changed by the message of Jesus, period. It's not to to do anything but really communicate, live, and be an example of who Jesus is in our life so that God gets glory for what people see God do through us, period. And then we set our core values based on how to accomplish that mission, and they become the foundations of us as a group of people. And those core values are truth, worship, community, and missional living. And we're going to be teaching through all of those. We started with community um, so we could understand what, how God created us and that we are designed to live in relationship. And today the core value we're going to be talking on is truth. And I, I used to work in the corporate world. And we used to go to those corporate training seminars and the icebreaker things that you'd have to do. You know, you get about 30 or 40 people in a room that don't know each other. And so you come up with some icebreakers. They break up into small groups and say, let's get to know each other. And then they tell you what game you're going to play. And you play this game. Have you ever played two truths and a lie? You get in a group of people. You tell two things that are true about yourself. And then one thing that is a lie. And, and the people in your group have to guess which one is a lie. Now, I don't understand the concept of this game because you don't know me and you're formulating an, an impression of me and you're asking me to lie to you. So we're off to a great start. And a lot of times we get that way with our relationship with God. And, and we, you know, we try to be crafty. I don't know if you're like me. You, if you don't want to play the game, you'll come up with two truths and a blatant lie. But if you want to get the, get the people in your group stumped, you begin to formulate something that's a variation of the truth but you just change one minor detail i had a friend that said that in junior high he became a father and he said he was taking a home ec class and they partnered him up with a girl 
and they had a bag of flour that was their child that they had to care for a week, so technically he became a father. So we come up with some variation of the truth to fool everyone around us. And honestly, that is what's happened with Scripture. That's what's happened with with the Bible and and God in so many ways, is there is an enemy, and he, he knows the truth. He knows the truth better than we do. I can guarantee that. And he will take little variations and make changes, and you start to wonder, well, is that the truth, or is that not the truth, or what part of that is the truth, and what part is a lie? And if you, if you think about it in these terms, when you have guys sitting in a room checking for counterfeit money, there's probably millions of ways. I'm sure Doug can give a testimony to this. There's probably millions of ways that you could counterfeit money. Not that Doug is a counterfeiter. Let me back up. My internal monologue is rolling about three steps ahead, and I have to catch up. Doug works for the Mint, so he's around money all the time, the real money. But someone who is an expert in identifying counterfeit money, they don't study all of the counterfeit money that comes across their desk. They study the original document. And they know the original document so well that when a counterfeit piece comes across, they can easily identify it. It just becomes natural. And, and we've gotten away from this, I think, as a church, where we expect this, the Bible to be given to us in little bits and pieces and chunks and from, from, from me or from another pastor, that we fail to study the truth. And when we live life, it's hard to identify a lie or even a variation of the truth, which is a lie. I mean, we were all kids. We were all teenagers. We knew how to take the truth and just tweak it just a little bit. Well, it wasn't technically a lie. It was just a variation of the truth. Well, now I'm a dad. That's a lie. And so that's what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to go through some... There's going to be a lot of head knowledge. I'm going to go, and then we're going to go philosophy to theology. And I want to make sure we get this because this is the DNA of us as a church. Truth is in our DNA. If you pull a hair out of my head and a hair out of my toe, yes, I have hairy toes, the DNA will match. It should be that way as a church. And we've got to make sure we understand who we are and what we're about. There's something that I want us to understand about Scripture and about us as a church. I want us to be biblically accurate. I want us to make sure we're a clear reflection of the truth that's contained in Scripture. But we also need to be culturally relevant. And so we need to understand how that balances out. I want to I embrace the culture around us. I love this community. I love this area. But I don't want to embrace it in such a way that I get drawn in and become influenced and impacted by the community and the people around me. I want to impact and influence the community. You see the difference there? And so we're engaged, but we're engaged for purpose. And we're going to be talking through this. Um, truth matters. Um, there is absolute truth. Let me say that. There, absolute truth exists. But if I were to say absolute truth exists, and then someone were to say there is no absolute truth, they've just stated an absolute truth. I think we get hung up on absolutes and the wrong absolutes so many times. Truth is this. Let me give you the definition of truth. Truth is, it's the property as of a statement of being in accord with fact or reality. And also, truth means a fidelity to an original or a standard. 
there is absolute truth, and it does exist. Um, to throw some head knowledge, if you're at the water cooler and you want to impress some people tomorrow, Aristotle, um, who was in the line of Socrates or Socrates, depending on if you've watched Bill and Ted or not, um, Aristotle came up with a law called the Law of Contradiction. And he said that something cannot be true and not true in the same relationship or time. When I, Depending on what shirt I wear, my eyes will change colors because I'm, I'm freaky like that, I guess. But my eyes can be green, but my eyes cannot not be green. You see what I'm saying? I can't have green eyes and not green eyes at the same time. I can't be true standing here talking to you and not be standing here talking to you. It's the law of contradiction. Truth cannot contradict itself. Something can not be true and not true at the same time. You got that? That way tomorrow when you're at work and you'd be like, oh, that's the law of contradiction. They're going to look at you and they're like, what? Oh, yes, let me share with you my knowledge. I've heard people say this about truth. When we, when we submit ourselves to truth, I've heard people say that you believe that because that's what you were taught. In matters of faith, and when you're speaking about your faith to people around you, they'll say, well, you just believe that because that's what you were taught. Well, I was taught when I was a kid that 2 plus 2 equals 4. And that's true, right? That 2 plus 2, no matter where you are in the universe, equals 4. And that's a truth that I was taught. I do believe that. You cannot, you cannot do math without truth. You cannot do science without truth. And so for someone to say, you just believe that because that's what you were taught. Can I challenge you with this? They're doing the same thing. Because somewhere along the line, if they say, and I've, this has been said to me, well, you just have faith in God because that's what you were taught. I don't have any faith in God. Well, somewhere along the line, you believe that because that's what you were taught. Let me, let me tell you what I have learned about truth and faith is I've submitted my life to it and I, am, I have been taught about faith. I'm so thankful that I was brought up in a home where I was taught faith. But there's a point in my life that I had to start to question that and formulate my opinions and my experiences around faith. And what I've come to understand is, is I have met this man Jesus and he so transformed my life that that is the truth, that Jesus is true. And the things that I have seen him do in my life are true. And I know that there's people in this room that have seen God do things in their life that they can only say that is the hand of God. And you cannot argue that truth. And it, it does exist. But when we get into arguments with people about faith, we want to begin to argue truths that we have not experienced. We want to argue portions of Scripture and sections of the Bible that we have no ability to articulate, mainly because we haven't experienced it. You see, the enemy has been very crafty at formulating an argument against spirituality and Christianity in particular because it's so threatening to him. And he begins to formulate the arguments around truth and around, well, prove it. Can you prove that? Can you prove this? Can you prove this? When if you get into Scripture, 
God says, I'll handle all the proof. You be a witness. You, you be of testimony to what you've seen me do in your life. And I have seen God take death and turn it to life. I have seen God take someone who cannot see a thing around them spiritually and open their eyes. I've seen physical miracles that I can only say is God. And this week our community spent time praying for one of our kids and knowing that God was going to do something amazing. And I can say, that's God. That's the truth because I've submitted my life to it. And so let's get into the theology of truth here. Go to John. We're going to step outside of Matthew and go to John chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me just tell you, you know, there are moral truths, there are moral absolutes, but not all morals are absolute. And so we've got to be careful to wrap our life around truth and, and let our morality be defined by truth and not hold on so tight to what we think is a moral absolute. You get what I'm saying there? We've all met those people that have wrapped their self around something that they believe is a moral absolute that contradicts Scripture, and we end up in an argument. Remember, it's the open-hand, closed-hand concept. Let's be real careful when we close our hands around and make sure it is the truth, and it's not something that we need to put in the open hand. John chapter 1. We're going to read verse 1 through 5. And then uh, we're going to book in this with verse 14. John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. John's really driving it home there. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And then skip down to verse 14 here. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What John is setting up here is he's saying Jesus embodies truth. If you think about this, Jesus is the smartest man that ever lived, and John is writing what Jesus is teaching And Jesus is calling himself this truth. The interesting thing is the word here used for truth is called logos. We get our American word logic or reason or power behind that. And what John is writing about Jesus is is something that was very popular in Greek philosophy at the time. The Greek philosophers believed that in the universe there existed this logos. And this Logos was the force, it was the power, it was the reason and the logic behind everything in the universe. That it all came down to a single point of truth and reason. And it was the logic of the universe. And these great thinkers spent their time trying to understand this great logic. And what you have is Jesus stepping on the scene and stepping into culture and saying this logic that you already know exists, that you were created with with a connection to, I am that logic. Jesus is the logic and the reason and the power and the purpose behind the universe. In him everything was made. He holds it all together in his hand. And he steps in to humanity. 
to say the logic is right here in front of you. The logic has made his dwelling among you. Reason has come to live in our area. And the power is come through Jesus. And what you have is Jesus understanding that he is the truth and beginning to communicate that, that Jesus is the truth. Go over to John 14, chapter 6. This is where Thomas is questioning Jesus. Because when we don't know the truth, what do we begin to do? Those of you who are parents know exactly how this process goes. When you recognize, I'm not getting the truth or I'm not understanding the truth, you begin to ask questions of your kids. And you ask questions that are going to draw out the truth. I broke easily when I was a kid. I would just start crying. I was hoping mercy would come, you know. I was hoping the punishment would be less or, you know, maybe, oh, he's crying, he's torn up, he's he's paid his price. Nay. Jesus says this, Thomas is questioning Jesus. Those of you who know Thomas, remember Thomas, we get the doubting Thomas. You know, and he, he had all the questions about Jesus. Well, show me this, show me this. What does this mean? Where are you going? How do we get there? And Jesus answers Thomas this way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying I am the truth. He's not saying I am a truth. We've got a lot of different views going on around us where we're becoming tolerant as a society of Jesus and saying, well, he is a way. He is a truth. No. Truth states that Jesus is the truth. He is the way and the life. That's what I stake my life on. That's what I wrap. Open hand, closed hand. I put my hand around Jesus is the truth. He is the way. He is the life. There is no other way to the Father except through Jesus. That's where the enemy starts to throw in these counterfeit truths into our life. Well, is Jesus really just a way to heaven? No, he is the way. Is Jesus just a way to have a relationship with God? No, he is the way to have a relationship with the creator of the universe. The one true God. Go over to John chapter 18 here. Just flip over a couple pages. Jesus is being questioned again. This time by an enemy. Pilate. Jesus has been arrested and the claims are being made against him and and Pilate is beginning to interview him and he comes in the room. They're having a conversation and in verse... uh, Chapter 18, verse 37, Pilate says this, You are king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You are right in saying, I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate then questions Jesus, What is truth? See, Pilate's questioning in a way that's really kind of sarcastic. You know, when you get when you get confronted with something, you have two responses when you get confronted with the truth. Your two responses are to accept it and let it change something within you, or you become cynical or sarcastic about it. 
We get this way in relationships. When we, when we, and most of it is us men. We get presented with a truth about our relationship, and our two responses are to accept that and make a change in our relationship and humble ourselves and say, "You know what, honey, you're right. I need to change. This is something that that we need to work on." But the other response is one I think comes out too common in society is we become sarcastic about it and go, well, what are you talking, you know, you're wanting to point that at me. Have you have you thought about your life, honey? Have you thought about the things that you, I mean, and we begin to deflect it and push it back. And it really comes down to there are people that will question and have questions so they can know the truth. Think about Thomas. Thomas is asking because he wants to know the truth. After Jesus had been raised from the dead, and he shows up in the room where they are, and Thomas said, Jesus, can I touch the scars? And Jesus says, come on, lay it on. And Thomas is questioning Jesus, and his response after that situation was, my Lord and my God. He submitted himself to the truth. But then you've got people like Pilate who ask questions so they can avoid the truth. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone? It could be over faith. Faith tends to be a very combustible subject, but it could be anything. I had a friend that went through a very, very rough divorce, and everything was was her problem. It was her problem. It was her problem. And I remember sitting at lunch, and I, I just asked him to think about some things, and he began to just barrage me with questions. Well, don't you think she was wrong here? Don't you think that she should have done this? When I did this, should she have done this? And he's starting to ask and go down the road of more questions so he can avoid the truth that he had a major responsibility in the failure of their marriage. Now, skeptics are welcome. I love skeptics. And I love it when skeptics will listen and ask questions about things of faith. But let me challenge you, if you're, if you're questioning the things of faith, why are you questioning? Is it so you can know the truth or to avoid the truth? And, and don't hate on the messenger here. Sometimes the truth hurts. I'll tell you, as a church, we're going we're gonna to handle up on the truth. However, we're going to do it in love. We're not going to do it out of a mean spirit or mean-hearted. We're going to handle this in love. So skeptics are welcome. If you think about... Um, when Thomas submitted himself and said, My Lord and my God, if you read the history, do you know how Pilate's life ended? Later on in the story, it says that Pilate washed his hands and said, I wash my hands the blood of this man. He's yours. It's said that later in Pilate's life, he went crazy. And he roamed the streets of Jerusalem doing this. You can read it in history. His life was this. And he's trying, there's no blood on his hands, but he's trying to wash the blood off his hands. He was confronted with truth. And he avoided it. And he spent the rest of his life trying to wash himself of that truth. There are times that we're confronted with truth and we have to do something with it. And so my challenge is to, to seek truth for truth so that you can know it and be changed by it. And so scripture is the standard of truth. If you look at John 17, Jesus is in the garden praying before he was arrested. 
John 17, 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples, and then he begins, he goes on and prays for all believers. He prayed for you and I. But in verse 17 of chapter 17, he says to his father, he says, Father, sanctify them by truth. Sanctify is, is a church word for make them holy. Set them apart for righteousness. Let them be clean so that what they do is a reflection of you. Clean them and make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. So how do we understand, how do we approach Scripture as the standard for truth and then submit our lives to it? I hear people, I don't understand it. I don't understand everything that's going on in the Bible. Keep reading. And and then here's a help. Go to John 16. It tells us that the Holy Spirit will guide us into truth. It's 1613. But when He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth. So to understand this, we've got to get in there and learn Scripture. We've got to learn it and know it. You get in there, you crack your Bible open, and you pray. It can be an easy, simple prayer. God, let your Holy Spirit guide me into truth. You know, some people say they just open the Bible like they thumb and where it opens, that's where they're going to read. That's where God led me. If you land in Leviticus, you really need to pray before you start reading. But begin to pray and let God lead you through your study. Know it. Study the original. So when you get out and the attack comes, you can stand up underneath it. We are a reformed church. I explained this last week in that Greek phrase, sola scriptura, which means scripture alone is the authority for truth. It's not the only place to learn truth, but it is the authority for truth. Scripture doesn't give me all of the information about the science of the universe. But when the Scripture speaks of science, it's true. Scripture does not give me all of the information about the history of the universe and the human race. But when it speaks of it, it is true. It is the authority on which we base truth. Because it is truth. Whether you believe the Bible or not, it has affected you. Because you've seen how it affects someone else. And Scripture has been attacked over and over and over throughout the centuries. And Scripture will continue to be attacked as long as this battle between God and Satan wages on. God's Word will endure. And we will watch that Word endure. And so how did we... How do we get the Bible? What's the inspiration of Scripture? Let's, let's start to close this down. Um, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. God-breathed is called theonustos. Theo is God and Neustos is breathed. God breathed his word into existence. What I love about scripture is it's written in different styles. There's people that wrote poetry. Like even if you look at the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how different they all are. 
We've been going through the book of Matthew, and he writes from a Jew's perspective of Jesus being the king. Then you got John. We just read a little bit, you know, and John's kind of all over the page. He's like, yeah, Jesus is he's love. He was here in the beginning, and he's the word, and the word was with God. John's the guy you see laying in a field with some flowers and a tablet writing about Jesus. Matthew's very succinct. You got Mark and Luke. There's different details. It's their personalities being formulated into Scripture. Look, read anything that was written by Paul. His personality comes through in the Scripture. Where God breathed the Scripture is He used the personalities of the people He was speaking through. He didn't grab their hand and say, write this. He didn't show up at Paul's house at the right time and say, okay, Paul, it's time to document my memoirs. Would you write for me? I'll tell you what to say. I'll dictate. You write. He didn't go sit down with Matthew and go, you know, it's time. I'll dictate. You write. No, he moves through. He inspires people to write. And he begins to pour out his word and life to the world around him and to us. I believe the Bible is inerrant. It doesn't contain any errors. The Bible does not contradict itself. The Bible contradicts me. The Bible does not need to be edited, but it does edit me. The Bible is the only thing that as I try to read, it reads me. And I try to reflect what I learn through my time. A lot of people say, well, use the Bible. It's the roadmap of life. It's life's instruction book. Let me challenge that thought. I can find nowhere in the Bible that tells me how much time I should let my 13-year-old daughter be on Facebook. I can find nowhere in the Bible how to set it up so when my 18-year-old daughter moves to Canada, I know exactly what to do. There's nowhere in the Bible that says, here's exactly how you need to handle having two teenage daughters at the same time. And a wife. And our dog's a girl, so I'm way out gunned here. Scripture is the character of God. And shows me how to have a relationship with Him. When I spend time in Scripture, in truth, the truth of God's character begins to mold me and form me and shape my worldview and how I approach situations. And it allows me to have this relationship with my father. I grew up with a great relationship with my dad. And to this day, there are things that I face that his character comes out. Now, I may handle something right. I may handle something wrong. I may handle something just completely in the middle. But the character that my father invested in me is showing through the decisions I make. As I spend time in a relationship with my father, God, and I spend time in his word, his character begins to grow in me. And so when I'm faced with a decision of how much Facebook time should she have, the character of God begins to form how I make that decision. 
And so it's not an instruction book or a road map. It's a way for me to know the character of my Father who created me and loves me and desires a relationship with me and desires to lead me in truth and desires to do something in this world through me. And I begin to move with that character. There are over 25,000 early manuscripts of Scripture. Originals. Remember the telephone game? Where you start on one side and you end up over here with something completely different? A lot of times we think different translations of the Bible are like telephones. Well, I like to read the King James Version because that's the most accurate version of Scripture. If you can understand that, good luck with all that. I get so lost in the these, thous, those, and who's it's and what's it's and things aplenty. And some people say, I like to read the NIV because that's the real readable version of the King James Version. And then we've got people that are like, I like the ESV. They call it the extra special version. It's the English Standard Version. You know, there's all these versions. They go back to the original. We can have faith in knowing that when God put His Word together, I mean, there was a council and church fathers, and we could, if you want the history on how we got the Scriptures we know it today, I can send you that. If you want to talk about that, we can talk about that. But it has come down and we have manuscripts that we can verify against the original so we know we're getting the truth of God. And here's the thing. We can start arguing about, well, how did we get it? How did we get the Bible? And then the enemy has gotten us doing exactly what he wants us to do. Arguing about something that we shouldn't be arguing about and putting our lives and wrapping our hands around something that's going to make us fight. The truth is, God breathes Scripture into life. Jesus is the ultimate truth. He is the truth. We have help through the Holy Spirit to guide us in the truth. And God longs to have a relationship with us so He can teach us in truth. And with all the attacks on truth, the greatest danger is not an outside attack. The greatest danger to the Bible is an internal or inside failure. In James 1.22, he says, Don't just hear the word. Do it. Now, let's, as a church, focus on living Scripture, living truth, and loving through truth, so that when attacks come, we're rooted in truth. I'm convinced that when people say I hate the Bible or I don't trust the Bible or I don't believe the Bible, then they've probably seen me claim truth in Scripture and not live it. They've probably seen someone in their life claim the truth of Scripture and not live it. As we try to live this, then people will watch our actions more than they'll read the words. Let me challenge you this week to devote time reading Bible to discover, to learn new truths. If you need help with a translation, I'll help you. If you've got a translation you, that you have a hard time understanding, I'll help you. We don't want to be a church that, that avoids truth. We don't want to be a church that walks blindly around truth. 
We want to know it and live it and understand it. So this week, devote some time to reading Scripture, truth, and learning it. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you so much that you have given us truth. That the truth is that you are born the Son of God and that you lived a perfect life. You submitted your life and you gave it to be crucified on a cross. And the truth is you were raised on the third day so that we can have a relationship with you. God, sometimes we don't understand all of the details of, of the truth, but we have faith that helps us see truth. And so God, we ask this morning that as we've tried to wrap our minds and, and hearts and heads around truth, that you give us the faith to live it out. God, that it might draw us one step closer to living a more clear reflection of you. That, God, it allows us to be changed by your word. And, God, we know that you desire to change lives. That, God, we start with ours. And, Father, as much as we want to... to see truth lived out around us and see this return to truth that God we ask that you start it right here within us give us the courage to ask questions about truth but not become sarcastic when the truth wants us to change God, give us the courage that Thomas had to ask the tough questions about our faith and when we're confronted with the truth that we submit our lives and say, my Lord, my God. We love you. We thank you for giving us truth. We worship you. We thank you for the, the scripture. We don't worship the scripture, but we worship you because you gave us the scripture. It is your breath. It is your character. It is your word to us. And we cherish this letter, but we worship you. We love you and we thank you. We ask that you, through through Holy Spirit this week, give us new insights and open our eyes to new truth and give us the courage to live that truth. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.